Welcome people to A Tribe Called Shift, a podcast that digs into the exterior of hip-hop culture to explore themes such as sociopolitics, economics, fashion and much more. In this episode we speak to biker enthusiast and founder of Slipstream TV, TR. We talk about the influence of DMX and the Rough Riders on biker lifestyle and really get into the core of equity and diversity in the scene. In TR's own words, he wants to see more diverse faces flexing in petrol fueled places. How influential was DMX and the Rough Riders for the UK? And, you know, I guess more talking to your experience, um, had it influenced you and I guess your peers as well? DMX, uh, well, he, he, kind of worldwide icon in general. But I think what was interesting about him, uh, he had an extra, I guess, string to his bow, which was that he was tied in with a subculture that had almost like his, his independent energy that he was a part of rather than they were a part of him. You know, it wasn't like they were his backing dancers. Like this was like a whole movement in of itself that he was a part of, right? So um, I think for, for UK audiences, it was uh, massively revolutionary, I guess, to have a bunch of black and brown faces within an automotive space, essentially. Um, and what was what, what kind of stuck out straight away is that the way that they flexed in that space was not like what we'd seen before. So, you know, at the time you might, you might be watching Top Gear on TV with your parents or whatever, and um, it's, it's very dry, it's kind of very, very white, um, and it's almost as though it, you can't imagine yourself in, in it. Whereas they mixed an extension of hip-hop culture into an automotive space, and that hybrid of that experience um, it birthed a whole new look and feel that was uh, rough, right? Let's get it. Uh, it was um, it was organic. It was um, it was how it, it gave us permission to reinterpret that in our own context. Um, so, kind of a little after we start, we started seeing first of all group rides of that extent weren't something that I had seen. Definitely, um, you know, you might see the three or four um, riders out on a weekend or something uh, in full leathers uh, looking like they're, they're coming from a racetrack. But in terms of the lifestyle element of, of how these riders were presenting, they're kind of mobbing cities. You know, I'm seeing like news footage from helicopters of them just like sweeping states. Um, and that kind of mobbish, thuggish uh, expressionism was was really attractive to to like young uh, black and brown people in the UK, I think, and you know not just black and brown people, um, working class white people as well. In fact, the first people I ever saw on bikes were working class white people. Um, you know, the first the first stolen bikes that I got access to uh, to have a go on on up and down the road uh, were were you know in my environment, and that was working class white people. So. Um, yeah, I think that there were there were movements that popped up out, out of the UK. There is actually a chapter of the Rough Riders in the UK. Um, I'm pretty sure they came a little bit later, but uh, I remember back in the day there was there was people like this, uh, they were called the Supreme Riders, mm. and I remember vividly um, searching for images or any kind of content that I could absorb on the internet 
because the few little clips that I had seen, I was like, it was like a UK Rough Riders. It was like, man, are wearing Averix jackets. You know what I mean? And, and you know, even, even down to seeing Lethal B talking about, you know, in, in the Powell video, he's talking about rocking an Averix jacket and being on an R6. Those little trinkets were all we had. To, it was like these little, you know what I mean? Like these little uh, Hansel and Gretel bits of bread that we're like following, trying to get to where the source was, right? Mm. Um, and the truth is it didn't, it, didn't, it didn't wholly exist in a tangible way or in at least a big way in the UK at that stage. But it was just like the starting point um, of this cultural movement that was happening. What other influences have you found um, growing up into this kind of culture and lifestyle? What interested me and what kind of drew me in were, it was about how people were flexing in different spaces, right? And and whether that's, uh, you know, Leaf will be pulling up on an R6 or um, other grime artists that have spoken, you know, Meridian Dan used to be called R6 Dan, you know, back in oh. the day. Do you know what I mean? And I know from my perspective, when I heard that, I was like, I fucked with him. He's got R6 in his name. I, I, I dig him, right? So um, obviously early on, the Rough Riders and the Supreme Riders in the UK and then um, several other bike crews that I discovered maybe in the last eight years, nine years. Um, there were other people, so you've got like um, front runners, you know, they're, they're um, a bunch of predominantly black riders, London-based that, um, have got quite quite a decent little audience. Um, you got people like uh, Slow Boys as well. Slow Boys um, out of West London, um, very multicultural. Um, they're probably one of the most progressive clubs slash entities slash brands in the space. Um, they really sell in the idea of them being a family, uh, which is something that's quite unique in the space. Everyone kind of leverages the bad boy appeal of it. But they really came in, and they they do things like um, Snowboys Rescue, which is a, with it, which is a, a charitable wing of their organisation, where they you know they they volunteer in soup kitchens and stuff, helping the homeless. So there are people in the space um, that have kind of extended from the roots that made it cool, um, and have started to grow it. And I think that what they're doing is is tapping into touch points that maybe earlier parts of the movement couldn't have. Right. So I think in terms of, um, you know, one of the biggest music videos from a few years ago, maybe, maybe six years ago, was Crepton Conan, um, Don't Waste My Time. And that whole video was just like a whole bunch of London bikers just doing bike life stuff that was, was already happening in that end of South London, right? And But it was captured in a moment and, and then that moment went viral and it became a national hit that kind of made uh, those two rappers, some of the biggest rappers in the UK, um, that exposure and that that little snapshot into the culture, I think, probably ignited a lot of younger people to say, "Well, you know, what the hell is this? This is some cool shit. I want to be involved." So it will always be there as, as long as it as long as it it re- remains sampled in the way that it has been and has always been. Um, it will you're always going to get people tapped in, definitely. What components do um, the bike culture, the bike lifestyle, what do they share with um, hip hop or you know, subcultures of hip hop? Uh, it's definitely an attitude thing. Um, it's there's a 
so so the, the kind of the root of of bike culture as a whole um well maybe not as a whole but no nah, fuck it i'm gonna say it as a whole you know wherever you are in bike culture there is a there's a degree of confidence and ballsiness that you need to have in order to get onto two wheels and put your life at risk essentially so whether or not you're talking about the isle of man tt where people are whizzing at 200 miles an hour around an island on you know going past post boxes and zebra crossings or you're talking about the rough riders and uh, who are coming out of like the bronx and brooklyn and you already know what that's about um or you're in peckham and you're seeing you know 30 40 16 to 21 year olds on dirt bikes on the road with no helmet like there is even even if you take it to like the rough uh, not the rough rough riders the um the hell's angels like the i think they call it the one percenters um it's this like niche group of like mavericks and rogues and bad boys right so that is that's something that's intrinsic within riding culture as a whole i think that when you add into that blackness and black masculinity, automatically it's just like, I don't know, it's just like there's a, there's a whole lot of energy there, right? Um, and that energy is like one colour on a palette that, that a lot of creatives will dab into to add into their their overall piece because it's so potent, right? So... Um, as an extension of hip hop, you've got, you've got the aggression, you've got the style, uh, you've got the expressionism, you know, the way that people ride their bikes, the way that they will customize and modify their bikes is distinctive to that particular cultural movement, subcultural movement. So for example, if I go to a bike meet and someone pulls up, I can tell that they're a civilian. I can tell by the gear that they're wearing, how they're wearing it, um, the size of their number plate, um, you know, how worn their tires are. Like there's certain things I can, I can look at them and say, yeah, they're not, they're not part of this thing, right? But then I'll see someone else and I'll be like, oh, who's that? Do I know them? Who do they know? Them? Because I know he's part of something. Like he's, he's a mutual somewhere down the line, right? So I think that that as a thing is probably the, the, the best way to describe how it's an extension of that um, hip-hop cultural movement. It's just one strand that comes off of it. And what does bike culture and lifestyle mean for you? And just to be a bit more explicit, you know, when you and your peers go out for a ride, paint a picture of what does a day look like and um, how, how do you all coordinate together? <laughs> um, well, depending who I'm with, it's th the thing is, um, because riding is, is quite tribal, um, I've got different batches of mates, right, that, that I ride with, and some of them are, like, particularly naughty, as in, like, I can't remember the last time I saw them with a license plate on their bike because of how naughty they are, um, and there's others that are just, like, they're not as involved. Basically, they sink, they sink better or more seamlessly into the traditional and mainstream riding approach, right? Um, which is fine, you know, you know, different, different horses for different courses. Um, how we coordinate, it's usually group chats, it's um, it's linking up at, at like spots, whether it's like uh 
uh, what's it called? Krispy Kremes in Enfield is like a, a hot spot. Ace Cafe. I don't know. Do you guys know anything about Ace Cafe? So Ace Cafe is like one of the original biker cafes in London, right? So we're talking about like early 1960s when you had other uh, borderline criminal <laughs> um, subcultural movements with, with like uh, the mods and the rockers. Do you know anything about that? Uh, the mod, the mod, just for anyone who doesn't know, fuck it. The mods uh, who popularized um, like the Vespa and the Lambretta scooters, and they kind of wore the long, um, like Del Boy, uh, so the Rodney jackets with the little fur around, right? Um, and then you you had the rockers who were riding what we what is referred to as cafe racer motorcycles. So like you're talking about like old Triumphs and um, uh, other English uh, brands that I can't think of right now. Um, but yeah, they used to meet at Brighton Pier and like have proper straighteners. Like it was like full gang war between these guys. But anyway, um, the cafe races uh, were called cafe races because what they would do is they'd start a record um, at one cafe and then they would race to another cafe and the aim was to get there before the record finished, right? And the, these, these cafes were dotted all around England. Uh, but one of the most famous and surviving original biker cafes is, is Ace Cafe. Right? To go back to the beginning and be in these spaces, you know, occupy, also create, collaborate. Um, what, what are you trying to do and what are you trying to achieve, um, I guess, within the space yourself? Uh, for myself, um, so via Slipstream, um the initial goal was about creating content around a rider experience within this subcultural space so whether that's the exploration of events and meets that i go to that uh, they're, the, they're the kind of spaces that you you find yourself in it's like the uh, if you know you know right there's no you know i mean you can't go on to flipping trip advisor and find out where the next meet you know what i mean it's it's if you're plugged into the right network socially, then you'll get the invite. So documenting that sort of, of uh, those experiences and giving some insight as an entry point for people, which I thought was important. Um, that's kind of how it started. And it, then it was around creating content around uh, practical uh, writing information. Um, I found that I linked up with some of my brethren and their riding journey was different to mine. Very early on, I had a network of people around me that were teaching me things, that knew things that I didn't know, right? So, oh, don't lock your bike like that. Someone's going to nick it. What you want to do, you want to put it through the swing arm and then through the... Do you know, just like little hacks that I didn't know, right? So I recognised how privileged I was and then started to create content around that sort of information so that less experienced riders could access it. Um, more, more recently, it's been about kind of creating content around the narratives that I find interesting, right? So, um, our faces flexing in petrol fueled places, right? So, um, for example, recently I've linked up with uh, a guy called Kevin Haggerty, who's like, um, a, he's a moto journalist. He's written for every top car um, publication in the UK. He's been a broadcaster and a writer, a journalist for like the last 27 years. He was actually the first black um, 
uh, motoring correspondent on UK screens. He's like the precursor to Rory Reid <laughs> of Top Gear. Um, and speaking to him about his journey and his viewpoint on an industry that, again, doesn't recognise us in this space. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm doing things like working on a, on a documentary around what, what we are as a subcultural movement and how unrecognised we are by the industries that we support and what next steps could look like. You know, I've, there's, a, there's a, an, an inspiring woman who was the first black female race official uh, and she started a race academy said we shouldn't have to wait 10 years for the next Lewis Hamilton. I'm going to find him in the next two years. Um, so she's she kind of got kids on go, in go-karts already kind of finding, get developing that talent. So finding these little nuggets of stories. You, you, do you guys ever heard of DJ Carl Cox? Yeah. DJ Carl Cox owns Carl Cox Racing and owns like, I think, six or seven different race teams in different race championships around the world. I don't fucking know that. So it's like, Again, if we understand, as in like tangible data, we understand that the more we see things, the more we see the ability to be things. I just think that via Slipstream, it's really important for these stories to be um, expanded on and to, to really unravel past the, oh, there's a black person in a car or, oh, there's a black person on a bike or, oh, there's a woman who's, you know, on a dirt bike. Or Let's, let's actually look at these experiences um, let's extract some of the value from them so that it can be shared and and we can start to open up these conversations. Like I said, it's a two-way conversation. The industry needs to hear this um, externally from Bike Life, what I do professionally within creative and content. Um, brands are dying, <laughs> literally dying to um, to open up this dialogue about about. Uh, diversity. They want. They want to understand how to authentically navigate that space. How do we? How do we access this audience? How do we speak their language? How do we bring them into our brand world in a way that isn't some cringy white guy going, um, "Hey kids, we like hip hop too." Like, do you know what I mean? They they want to know how to do it. But I think for our space uh, in the UK within automotive, it it is seemingly so small that they don't have an entry point. So I think that's part of the work I'm doing with Slipstream is to um, position what we're doing as a project uh, through content, through collaboration, through events, um, to, to first and foremost, make that safe space where we can flex in these petrol fuel places because we do it differently, it's true. Um, you know, it's capitalize off of that and create the content and hopefully lead by example. So that, you know, if, you know, within the next year or so, we are working with the Hondas of the world and the Yamahas of the world to say, you know, what does your future look like if you don't speak to these people? <laughs> and, um, and where can people um, find Slipstream? Uh, so we live on uh, YouTube and uh, Instagram predominantly uh, at Slipstream TV. Uh, so yeah, check us out. Tribe Called Shift is a Culture Shift production produced by myself, Rav Kumar. To keep up with the topics of different intersections, follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Culture Shift UK and read our in-depth articles at www.cultureshiftuk.com.